Welcome to Wellversed, where we bring biblical principles of governance to governmental leaders and you. This is the Wellversed podcast. It's really a joy to get to have our special guest with us today. Ezra Levant is bold and courageous. He is, uh, I think he's probably the founder, if I'm not mistaken, of Rebel News in Canada. We've learned we can turn to him when we want truth. Boy, finding truth these days can be quite a challenge, media. And I thank God for him. We, it was he, he really, he who reported in Canada about Archer Pulowski, and one of the few, maybe the only one, I'm not sure, who really reported the full story on what was happening in the persecution, ongoing persecution of this pastor. He was at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland recently, and I would like him to tell us about what is the World Economic Forum, how did it begin, who is this Klaus Schwab character, why should we care, how many attend, how do they get invited, set up the logistics of it, and then tell us what actually takes place and why we ought to be both informed and very concerned. So Ezra, we welcome you, but could you take just a moment before you talk about the World Economic Forum, and if you're able to give us an update on Arthur Pulowski and his trial, I believe it begins February 2, Thursday. It's the final trial and a critically important one. We had an update on it, oh, about two weeks ago or, or less, and I'm just concerned how Arthur is doing. What's the status on that trial? So welcome, Ezra. Talk to us about Arthur and then take us all the way to Switzerland for the World Economic Forum that you were at. Will do. Thanks very much for the invitation. I will be at the courthouse in Calgary, Canada on February 2nd and 3rd for that trial. So I will be reporting, I will be live tweeting the proceedings. That is, I'll be writing in, them in real time on Twitter, and then I'll be making some video reports afterwards. This is an important trial because there's pressure on the Crown prosecutors to drop the prosecution of Arthur because they've lost every single one. Now, you might recall that he temporarily was convicted, but that was overturned by a unanimous ruling of the Court of Appeal. So, so far, Arthur Pavlovsky has been in court 17 times, if I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. and he actually is undefeated, uh, other than that temporary setback, which was overturned at the Court of Appeal. So, in Canada, there's two tests for whether or not the government should prosecute someone. Number one, is it in the public interest? And number two, is there a reasonable likelihood of conviction? Neither of those are in, in uh, effect with Pastor Arthur. It is not in the public interest to continue to persecute this man. It's obviously a vendetta against him by the government because he was so defiant. And second of all, the courts have sobered up since the, the worst of the lockdown. They realized that it was a civil liberties bonfire, and they're not playing along. Um, I believe that this will be dismissed as the other charges have been. And there's yet another prosecution against him. I, I don't think this is the last one. They're actually using a very strange rule to go against him. Alberta, Canada is an oil and gas jurisdiction like Texas or North Dakota. And so it has an anti-eco-terrorism law called the Critical Infrastructure Defense Act. That's the kind of law meant to stop Greenpeace from vandalizing a pipeline or stopping uh, an oil sands mine. The law is new, it has never been used before, but it was explicitly built to stop people who were attacking the oil and gas industry. Bizarrely, 
the first person ever charged under this eco-terrorism law is Pastor Arthur Pavlovsky. How? Why? What? Huh? Well, because he gave a sermon to the truckers who were uh, had a convoy a year ago in Canada, you'll recall, the truckers stood up against the, the lockdowns and the vaccine mandates. So Arthur Pavlovsky simply gave them a pep talk, a sermon. Uh, he went down there, gave the talk on the back of a flatbed truck and left. Incredibly, bizarrely, they're prosecuting him under that law. They will surely lose. But every time they prosecute him is... I'm not going to say $100,000 worth of legal bills, but tens of thousands. Because, for example, next week, a two-day trial. Obviously, the lawyers have to be in court for the two days, but they have to prepare more than that. And the government is trying to blizzard Pastor Arthur's lawyers by dumping thousands of pages of documents on them, which they have to go through because there might be something useful in there. They're over-disclosing. There's two ways to handle government disclosure to an accused person. One is for the government to stonewall and not give anything. The other is what the government is doing to Pastor Arthur, throwing everything at him, tens of thousands of pages, just to burn up time and expense on Arthur's part. I'm not going to disclose how high his legal fees have been, but the lawyer, Sarah Miller, who fights hard for Arthur and is going to win again next week, I promise you, said two things. First of all, no ordinary person could bear these legal bills. Second of all, no rich person could bear these legal bills because a rich person would think rationally and say, it doesn't make sense to spend $50,000 fighting a foolish mischief charge that the fine would only be a few hundred dollars. Just pay it. Just plead guilty and get out of it. But Arthur is more principled. And, and so it's an incredible battle. And I think he will be vindicated in the end. And I hope that the new government of Alberta comes to its senses. And remember those two tests, public interest, reasonable likelihood of conviction. Both have to be there to prosecute Arthur. Neither is there. I predict, and I don't want to be too confident, but listen, based on the track record, I predict he will win again. But the process is the punishment. They don't care if they lose. They just want to beat him up for weeks and months and years to stress him out, to burn up his energy, to to demoralize him, to take up his time. So it's an abuse of process. That's my update on Pastor Arthur, unless there's anything specific you'd like me to talk about. Is the successor to Premier Justin or Jason Kenney, I believe that's his name in Alberta, is he any better than, than that? The successor, the successor is Danielle Smith who campaigned on a, an amnesty for people like Arthur Pavlovsky and small businesses. Uh, Danielle Smith said that those were punitive and let's turn the chapter and let's move on. However, she's been premier for a number of months now, and it's easier said than done because you don't want to be seen to be interfering with the independence of the courts. And so there's a real tug of war within the government Um, I think that the government will clearly proceed against him next week. And I think that the government will be made a fool of again, because the courts seem to be siding with Pastor Arthur. It is really a miracle because it really was a David and Goliath story. But David has won so many times now. It's quite encouraging. To answer your question, the new premier has said the right things, but has not yet done them because it's proving more difficult than was first thought. Before we go to the next topic, I'm going to break right in. Paul, 
are you on? Uh, Paul Truman from, from Canada, a pastor in Canada. Are you are you on right now? We're going to have you pray. It was on yes, just a I'm, moment ago. I'm I'm on, but there's something wrong with my video. When I press the button on the bottom, it says start video. Then it uh, it doesn't the uh, red line that's doesn't okay. go away. That, that's that's not a problem. Just go ahead and just pray for Arthur right now. Then we're going to the next topic. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and we thank you, Lord, that you hear and answer prayer. You said, call upon me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty and wonderful things which thou knowest not. And Father, we pray for Arthur right now in the name of Jesus, as you were with Peter in the jail, Lord Jesus, when he was bound between those four soldiers, Lord Jesus, you came and sent an angel, O God to release the chains and said, bind on your sandals and get ready to go. And the doors open of their own accord. And so father, we pray right now as they go to court. And as this is finally dealt with Lord Jesus, that he would come out like Peter, oh God, that when he knocks on the door of the places he visits and they're praying and seeking your face, oh God, that they will be in astonishment, Lord, that he is there outside of the door. And so, Father, we thank you right now that you hear and answer every prayer, oh God, that we pray. And we thank you you're going to meet these financial needs. In Jesus' name, we pray, oh God, that you would pour him out a blessing and that it would come from the north, the south, the east, and the west. And people would give, oh God, and he would receive and be able to pay off these bills in the mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen. Amen. You, you're listening right there to the prayer of Pastor Paul Trenum from Moncton, New Brunswick, Canada. Ezra, before we leave this topic, if people want to support economically the cause, where would they uh, send their funds? How would they get online and give? Thank you. You can go to savearthur.com, and Arthur spelled A-R-T-U-R, the Polish spelling. Savearthur.com, and if you're a Canadian, you will get a charitable tax receipt so it will actually not cost you uh, the full amount at a tax time through the Democracy Fund, which is a civil liberties charity that's hiring the lawyers. So go to SaveArthur.com. And I, uh, I can't tell you how much of a difference it has made that thousands of ordinary people have chipped in 50 bucks or 100 bucks. And altogether, it's made all the difference in the world. And it has allowed Arthur to get his voice back. It has, you know, he just needed those tools. Because he is a strong believer and a great and eloquent spokesman for the, the ideas of the church and for putting the rule of God above the rule of man. That's why they came for him. So the fact that so many ordinary people lifted the financial burden off him was actually amazing. I, I spent some time with him in November, and he is full of uh, optimism and confidence. And I think that's because he was rescued. By thousands of people well we're across a lot of social media sites right now so you can't see what's on the chat room where just the speakers are so that's save archer a-r-t-u-r no h there save archer.com so thank you for participating in that world world prayer network family you jumped in last time and ezra i, su I suspect you're well aware that three ohio state legislators passed a resolution in the state house uh, condemning Canada, putting it on a watch list uh, when they originally, when this originally came around. So we're going to shift topics now, Ezra, and go, by the way, your folks, you're listening to Ezra Levant of Rebel News. What's your website, Arthur, so people can, I mean, uh, Ezra, so people can know how to be in contact with you. 
Thanks very much. I run a news company called Rebel News, and our website is simply rebelnews.com. And if you're wondering what rebel means, we rebel against the groupthink of the mainstream media or the uh, media party, as I sometimes call them. So we, we are contrarian to their left-wing or progressive or big government mindset. And that's one of the reasons we recently went to Davos, Switzerland. Because every year in Davos, this exclusive ski town, it's a ski resort, a group takes over the whole town, books every single hotel room in the city. You can't get in unless you're on a list. And even if you're on a list, hotel prices are $10,000 a night. So we couldn't even get to the town. We stayed two towns over. And every morning we went in there. But by the way, you can't go just anywhere in this town because they've locked down the inner part of the town, a kind of uh, like a castle with a drawbridge. They have high security. They have badges uh, that if you don't have the right credentials, you can't get in. Up to 5,000 police and military were authorized to be deployed to protect this gathering. The World Economic Forum sounds very bland, sounds generic, World Economic Forum, or these just economists talking things over. That sounds very harmless, but it's a kind of Trojan horse. The World Economic Forum was created and is run by an 80-year-old man who's been doing it for more than 50 years. His name is Klaus Schwab. And he comes across as some sort of villain from a James Bond movie. He's got, you know, he's just, uh, he says atrocious and audacious things. He's got a, a German accent, which goes to the caricature. Like he feels like he's right out of a Bond movie. But what, what really is upsetting about him is how he talks about subverting democratic institutions around the world. There's this famous quote, maybe you saw him, bragging about how he penetrates the cabinets of the world. What I mean by that is he installs what he calls uh, World Economic Forum young leaders, young global leaders in governments around the world. In, in my country of Canada, uh, the Deputy Prime Minister, Christian Freeland, is on the board of the World Economic Forum. A, a great number of cabinet ministers are on the World Economic Forum. And what does this mean? Um, well, you don't have to engage in speculation or conspiracy theories because they publish what it means. On their website, WEForum, um, it's very easy to find their website. They tell you what they're about. They're about replacing national citizenship with global citizenship. They're about replacing democratic sovereignty, you know, your local legislature, your local state house, your Congress, replacing that with what they called stakeholder governments. Well, what's a stakeholder? Well, their friends, their lobbyists. So for example, who, who's, who's on the board? Well, Larry Fink, the boss of BlackRock, which has uh, $10 trillion in assets. Bill Gates is a regular there. George Soros is. He wasn't there this year, but his son Alex Soros was. Al Gore is on the board. Um, Xi Jinping has given the keynote speech at the World Economic Forum before. So it's all the people who want power but don't want to be elected, don't want to sully themselves by winning an election. They want to buy their way into power and influence and infiltrate democratic governments and replace local decision-making with their global decision-making. And some of their values include, for example, extreme 
environmentalism. So they all went to Davos in private jets. There was 1,000 private jets that went there. But they want you to drive less and fly less and heat your home less and eat less meat, eat synthetic meat, eat bugs. Now, I know you think that's crazy. That can't be true. Well, go to their website and you'll see it's true. They can't stop harping, can't stop harping on about it. They had this video a few years ago called You'll Own Nothing and You'll Be Happy. They, they're trying to, and, and it, so there's this annual conference of, I'm going to call them oligarchs. What's an oligarch? When, when we talk about Russia, we talk about these super rich billionaires who like to interfere and meddle in politics. Well, don't think we, that, that the West doesn't have oligarchs too. Bill Gates is an oligarch. No one ever elected him for anything. He actually doesn't particularly have any expertise, whether it's vaccines or population or, or, or climate change. But he's an extremely wealthy meddler who wants you to live a certain way. It is absolutely oligarchs. So last part of my story, me and my team of citizen journalists flew to Davos, but we were not officially accredited by the World Economic Forum. There were hundreds of journalists who were. They were allowed in the inner sanctum. They were allowed into the castle over the drawbridge, so to speak. They were allowed past the armed police. But they were only allowed in as participants, as members, as people who actually had to pay to play. So they never asked tough accountability questions. They never asked skeptical questions, challenging questions. They were there to harmonize with the World Economic Forum, to download their instructions for the next year. But myself and my colleagues and a handful of other citizen journalists we're waiting outside the castle, so to speak, on the street. And as these VVIPs, as these very, very important people, you know, stepped out of the green zone and amongst us peasants, we would try and identify them quickly and run up to them and ask them questions that we knew no one else had asked them. So we bumped into John Kerry, for example, Tony Blair, the former PM of the UK. Uh, we bumped into... Governor Kemp of Georgia, he was there, which surprised me. We, uh, uh, you know, there's so many uh, famous, influential, powerful, rich uh, newsmakers running around. It's, it's a target-rich environment for a skeptical journalist. And uh, two of the most interesting interviews that we managed on the street, and when I say interview, I mean, we would ask these people questions, but sometimes they wouldn't answer, sometimes they would. I, I spotted... Albert Bourla, the CEO of Pfizer, he just came out of the meeting and I was thinking, who did he meet with? What's he doing here? So I went right up to him and I, I'm not sure if you're able to play the video. It's, we peppered him with 29 questions in three minutes and I'm, I'm going to disappoint you. He didn't answer any of them, but I think it was still worth watching. 20 million people have watched this video so obviously, it struck a chord with people. If you want to play it now, you'll see what the fuss was about. Okay. Tristan, are we able to play that? Mr. Borla, can I ask you, when did you know that the vaccines didn't stop transmission? How long did you know that without saying it publicly? Thank you very much. I'm sorry. To that question. I mean, we, we now know that the vaccines didn't stop transmission, but why did you keep it secret? You said it was 100% effective, then 90%, then 80%, then 70%.
but we now know that the vaccines do not trans stop transmission. Why did you keep that secret? Have a nice day. I won't have a nice day until I know the answer. Why did you keep it a secret that your vaccine did not stop transmission? Is it time to apologize to the world, sir, to give refunds back to the countries that poured all their money into your vaccine that doesn't work, your ineffective vaccine? Yeah, you have a little bit of red. Are you not ashamed of what you've done in the last couple of years? Do you have any apologies to the public, sir? Are you proud of it? You've made millions on the backs of people's entire livelihoods. How does that feel to walk the streets as a millionaire on the backs of the regular person at home in Australia, in England, in Canada? What do you think about on your yacht, sir? What do you think about on your private jet? Are you worried about product liability? Are you worried about myocarditis? What about the sudden deaths? What do you have to say about young men dropping dead of heart attacks every day? Why won't you answer these basic questions? No apology, sir. Do you, do you think you should be charged criminally for, for some of the criminal behavior you've obviously been a part of? How much money have you personally made off the vaccine? How many boosters do you think it'll take for you to be happy enough with your earnings? Nothing? Who did you meet with here in secret? Will you disclose who you met with? Who did you pay commissions to? In the past, Pfizer has paid $2.3 billion in fines for deceptive marketing. Have you engaged in that same conduct again? Are you under investigation like you were before for your deceptive marketing, sir? If any other product in the world doesn't work as promised, you get a refund. Should you not refund to countries that laid out billions for your ineffective vaccine? Are you used to only sympathetic media, so you don't know how to answer any questions? Is that it? Shame on you, sir. Shame on you. That's Albert Bula, the boss of Pfizer. His people were pushing us around a little bit. Mate, he's pretty fit. I don't reckon he's had one jab. I'm huffing and puffing a bit. At least I didn't have any myocarditis. <laughs> Um, I, I, I dare say he's shocked that in his safe space at the WEF here in Davos that he was challenged in a way that he's never to date been challenged. Well, that's the thing. We're not accredited media here. We're on the outside of the perimeter. So he's only used to the softballs from CNN and MSNBC and people like that. I asked him a real question about product liability. No answer. A real question about Pfizer's past deceptive practices. You know, they paid the largest fine in American history to the Justice Department for deceptive marketing. I don't know if that's underway right now. I don't know if they're being investigated, but I think they should be. When did he know that the vaccine didn't actually stop transmission? I wanted to find out because surely he knew before we knew. Why didn't he tell us? I don't know. Avi, I'm really proud of that uh question it was like a kind of walking scrum a joint effort there because i know it's very hard when you're working in the moment as a, to actually remember all the all the activities that these people that these these people are criminals in my book I, you know the, the stuff that they've engaged in the last two years 
they need to be held accountable for. And in the moment that you don't usually get this much time, he had a bit of a walk and to, to actually work together and be able to work around those trying to protect him, it was, it, was, it was exactly what I feel we're here for. That big gorilla guy was sort of pushing me around a bit, but, you know, I've, I've got a low center of gravity myself. Um, I'm worried about one thing, though, Avi. Pfizer is connected to big media in an enormous way. Um, I'm worried that they're going to try and block this video. I'm worried they're going to try and cancel it on YouTube, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, places like that. So I want to look straight at the camera and say, folks, if you cannot find this video out there, go to wefreports.com. That's a special website we've set up for the World Economic Forum, wefreports.com. And if you feel moved by our coverage, please consider chipping in because we're 100% crowdfunded. Obviously, we get no ad money. We've been completely demonetized. But if you like that kind of accountability journalism, Abi Yamini from Australia, I'm Ezra Levant from Canada. We've got a great team from around the world. Please go to wefreports.com. Last word to you, Abi. And no matter where they cancel this video, we will update and have a current version there at wefreports.com. And there you can share all the content from all the guys on the ground here um, doing outstanding work. And if you agree that it is as important as and as outstanding as I think it is, then please chip in a couple of dollars uh, to help pay the cost to do this. Yeah, well, that was a great moment. We'll have plenty more. Congrats, my friend. All right, Ezra Levant and Avi Amini for Rebel News. Remarkable, remarkable. I'll let you take it. I have a number of questions, but I don't want to interrupt this flow. Stunning. Uh, just pick it up right there, Ezra. Sure. I mean, not all our questions were great. Uh, you know, we really only had a few seconds notice. We just spotted him, and then we both tried to think of whatever we could because we knew we only had him for a few brief minutes it was very quickly evident that he would not answer at all, which is surprising because I'm sure he has talking points for most of the things we said. He could have just done a blah, blah, blah to, to, to burn up the time. I don't know why he decided to go fully silent. I think it made him look like he had something to hide or couldn't answer. But it was also a reminder that he's been on TV for two years. He's probably done 200 interviews. In fact, he just came from an interview with the World Economic Forum with some regime journalist, none of them ever ask prickly questions because they're all insiders. They're in on it. They're probably taking Pfizer ad money. And I think what was interesting about that was not his answers. There weren't any. It was the dawning realization that he's been treated with kid gloves for two years. He's a very public person big pharma and big government and big media essentially merged. And this guy hid the fact that the vaccines don't stop transmission. And I asked about that about four times. And here's why. Because that was the whole explanation for why vaccines were forced on people, vaccine mandates, vaccine passports. The, the logic was, you can choose not to get vaxxed yourself. That's your funeral but you must get vaxxed to protect your neighbor, to protect others. But the whole time Pfizer knew the vaccine didn't stop you from transmitting it. So the entire rationale, the legal, moral, public health justification for forcing people to get vaxxed was built on a lie. And I wanted to know, did he know that was a lie from the beginning, but he just stayed quiet to make his profits. So that was an example of a very, very important person 
just walking down the streets in Davos. We recognized him and we scrummed him. Some other people were much more talkative. We talked to Greta Thunberg, the environmental activist. We talked to her for almost 20 minutes. Now, she didn't say anything interesting, but she didn't at least run away. She was uh, more courageous than Albert Bourla. Um, it's just a very interesting place. I use the word oligarch because these are the masters of the universe. And last point, I flew commercial from Toronto to Zurich, and then I drove from Zurich to a town called Sass, and then we took a train from Sass to, like, it was a very arduous journey. That's not how these high rollers go. They take a private jet to a private jet airstrip. I went to visit it. There were planes landing every 10 minutes. It was incredible. But then they got in a private helicopter for the last part of the journey, and then a black tinted window SUV. So all these people telling you to stop emitting carbon dioxide, to live smaller, they took a private jet, a private helicopter, and then a private SUV. There were no uh, VIPs going around in green vehicles. They, they weren't eating synthetic meat or insects. This was a luxury getaway in a luxury ski resort with a thousand private jet flights. And, and, and you know what? I'm not against wealth and prosperity. I mean, uh, congratulations if they earned it. They can spend it however they like. I don't care. But these are the people who turn around and instruct you and me on how to live. In fact, uh, one of our reporters managed to get John Kerry very briefly and put a question to him that obviously stinged him a bit. Our, our guy said, how can you be the climate envoy for Joe Biden, but you're flying private jets? And um, John Kerry stopped and looked at our guy and said, I fly commercial exclusively. But that's not true. He flies private jets all the time, unless he just stopped that morning or something. But I, I think that there's there uh, there's so much to do with the World Economic Forum because you have all these powerful influencers behind the scenes, and they want to replace regular governments. Last point, Klaus Schwab, the boss of the World Economic Forum, I put it to you, Jim, that he's the most powerful man in the world. Now. Obviously, the commander-in-chief of the United States has more military power, but he'll be gone in four or eight years. And the head of the United Nations Security, uh, sorry, General Assembly, the Secretary General, he'll be gone in a number of years, and he just knows other heads of state. But Klaus Schwab, for 52 years, has been having an annual gathering of heads of state, of royalty, of business oligarchs, of media types, of foreign leaders, of um, tech giants of scholars, of activists, I put it to you that Klaus Schwab has the most powerful Rolodex of connections in the world. And the difference between him and Joe Biden is that you can vote Joe Biden out. There's a constitution to check the power of Joe Biden. There's checks and balances. There's, there's scrutiny. But there's none of that for this shadow government run by Klaus Schwab. And if you doubt what I'm saying, just go to his website because he is even more boastful about his accomplishments than I am boasting about him. It is amazing to me that at one point, World Economic Forum tended to be a bit clandestine, kind of hid who they were. I mean, they've been going 52 years, but for the most part, most of us didn't know whether it was just our own ignorance, but they seemed to operate with a certain level of secrecy, it seemed. And then they got very braggadocious the last few years. 
And even though I'm told, I haven't checked this myself, I've been told by others that they scrubbed their website in the midst of criticism not too long ago, but then they put all this stuff right back out. And then even the uh, the erudite nature, uh, the braggadocious arrogant of it, John Kerry, when asked, why do you fly? He didn't answer this in another situation. I saw him interviewed, why do you fly private? He said, well, well I have to, I'm saving the planet. And, and then over at Davos, he was, he actually spoke and said, I can't quote it exactly. I wish I had the, the script. We would just, we would play that, that clip, but he said, just think, now you may have seen this yourself, Ezra. He said, just think a, a select group of people. And that's where he used select a select, select people have been, now he didn't use the word uniquely called to use another phrase there. I would say uniquely called, he used some other phrase, uniquely called. And we're here to save the planet. The, 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 the remarkable arrogance of this is astounding. Uh, go back, if you would, if you may want to comment on that, but Governor Kemp, what was he there for? How many members of Congress showed up? Uh, I know there's at least one Democrat that I saw. And then to my shock, my congressman, Daryl Issa, who also voted against what God calls marriage, violating the Republican platform and God's laws. Daryl Issa, whose last name is Lebanese, means Jesus of all things. He showed up at that event. I have no clue why on that one. Do you, do you know other prominent either Canadians or Americans who attended that would be like a, like a governor camp, a bit of a surprise to us? Um, most of the names are not a surprise. It was, again, just by random chance that I bumped into Governor Kemp on the street. By the way, I have no animosity towards Governor Kemp. I'm not motivated by any antipathy towards him. I, I'm a Canadian. I don't actually have a lot of skin in the game in, in the state of Georgia. My questions to him were pretty softball, I think. I was not prickly like I was with Albert Bourla. I said, why are you here? Um, doesn't this go against sort of the the America first values uh, what about free speech? You know, um, the World Economic Forum is very sense censorship oriented. You're from a First Amendment jurisdiction. Can you tell me what you're like? I just asked, like, I was trying to figure out why are you here? He didn't give me a word. I said, who are you meeting with? He said he didn't have an answer. I think he could have said, look, I'm here to there's a lot of rich people here. I'm trying to get them to invest in Georgia. And, you know, he could have said I flew here out of my own budget. Um, I'm just staying for a couple of days. My goal is to get people here to invest in Georgia. I think that would be an okay answer. But again, the refusal to answer, I thought was weird. I'm not going to pick on Brian Kemp because I don't have a real beef with him. But I don't think it's a good look to, if you're hanging out with Alex Soros, with Tony Blair, with Al Gore, with Klaus Schwab, you probably have to explain yourself a little bit if you're a Republican. And one of the things that I've learned about Davos is that they have their official program, but most of what they do is not publicized. They have all these private rooms for bilateral meetings. And that's why I asked Albert Borla, who did you meet with? Greta Thunberg, we, we met her on the street too. She refused to say who she met with. How come? I mean, are, are you ashamed of it? Is there some, I, I also asked Greta Thunberg if she'd ever been on a private jet and she wouldn't answer that either. Um, I think that I think that she's had a, a uh, I think the way she lives and the way she talks are a little bit different. But listen, here's what I have to say with the World Economic Forum. I think it's got away with so much because it has such a bland name that no one could really have a beef with. But if you're curious, just go to weforum.org and you'll see 
everything that you've heard as a conspiracy theory, it's not a conspiracy theory, they're bragging about it. Klaus Schwab really did write a book called The Great Reset about how to use the pandemic to socialize the world. They really did harmonize that phrase, build back better, that they used in New Zealand and Canada and Joe Biden and the UK. Like they really are where the talking points for the, they use the phrase new world order. Like, like it's almost as if Alex Jones wrote a screenplay, but instead of, but, but it, it's actually real life. And, and part of me thinks this guy's too over the top. He's too much like a Bond villain. He's too ridiculous. His, his father, by the way, was actually a Nazi. His father moved to Germany to run a factory. Most, you know, a lot of people left Germany in the 30s before, in the, during the rise of Hitler. Klaus Schwab's dad moved to Germany. I'm not saying that Klaus Schwab is a Nazi. I'm not blaming him for the sins of his father. But I'm just saying that if this was a Hollywood screenplay, someone would say, whoa, no one's going to believe it. It's too on the nose, but they really exist. And my last point I'll say, and this is what I tell my reporters when we go to places like this. I say, do not go one inch further than the facts suggest. Do not use your imagination. Do not engage in speculation because you don't need to. Because the facts that are right in front of you are so insane and so crazy. Just tell that story and you will have a hard to believe piece of fact as opposed to fiction. You do not need to be a conspiracy theorist in 2023. You just don't need to, because the way the world really is, is so absurd. And that's what I learned in the World Economic Forum, is that if you can think of a terrible idea, odds are the World Economic Forum is already implementing. Example, these little digital ID cards I mentioned that all the delegates were wearing that let them get into the high security zone. If any delegate failed their COVID test, beep boop, their, their digital passport would be shut off and they would be refused entry. So they were testing out digital ID at the conference, like the Chinese style social credit. They were literally trying out a, a passport system tied to your health and you don't think they want to do that to the rest of us? Just that little anecdote is so crazy. No one would believe it. Albert Bourla, a couple of years ago, talking about a pill that has a microchip in it, that if you take it, once it's in your stomach, that microchip can transmit. Yes, he took his pill. He's talking about this on camera. You don't need to make it up because they've already said it. That's the World Economic Forum. And I put it to you that they are a danger to anyone who believes in countries, and citizenship. They want to stop you from being a citizen and make you merely a consumer and obedient. That's my report. I, I've wondered in terms of the World Economic Forum's progress, um, they haven't hit a bridge out, so they're moving forward. But it seems they've hit speed bumps that really slowed them down. Give me a sense if this is accurate or not. The major speed bump they hit was the election of Donald Trump. They did not anticipate someone who was an antagonist to who they are. And, and I, I wrote back in 2018, no, 2016 it was, uh, I, I wrote that this is going to be why Donald Trump's going to be the most hated, well, this issue. I said, I, I don't even understand it totally, but this is what's going to be the deal killer for other people. And, and sure enough, that proved to be true. The second thing they hit was the, uh, the Canadian trucker strike had, a, had an international scope to it. People from around the world 
saw what you were doing, and they became heroes to an awful lot of people around the globe. And then the resistance to the vaccine on a global scale, the pushback that I would contend that those became, it didn't stop them, but it sure gave them pause. Is this accurate that when Justin Trudeau froze the bank accounts of everybody who even gave a sandwich to a trucker, that um, there was such a reaction negative that even the banks of Canada called on him and World Economic Forum said to their poster boy, Justin Trudeau, you've got to back off from this. This is not going good for us. Are those accurate portrayals of what they're experiencing? And then the last part of that kind of a complicated question, uh, I noticed how many how many shows, Fox News, the various talking heads on, on Fox News did a string of shows anti-World Economic Forum. Very blunt, very really called them out, which means a lot more people are being educated now who these guys are, who hadn't even heard of Klaus Schwab or hadn't heard of World Economic Forum. So are we are we beginning to reach any kind of a potential critical mass uh, or do we have a long ways to go in seeing some of these things shuttered and, and create more problems for them uh, in their agenda that we might have anticipated a year or two or three ago? Well, it's a lot in there. Donald Trump actually went to Davos to give a speech. I think it was 2018. And he was polite enough. I mean, he you know, he's a deal maker, too. He's he's used to dealing with people across the spectrum. I mean, when you're a real estate developer in New York, you meet all kinds of people. So he he handled himself very well. But if you watch his speech, which you can find on YouTube, it was a very much a national sovereignty, America first, American interests. We're going to build up America. We're not going to follow the green extreme agenda. We're going to drill for oil and gas and become energy self-sufficient. It was actually a, a, an amazing speech. And it challenged the, the um, mindset of the World Economic Forum head on. And if you were to have asked Trump, why did you go there? Like I asked uh, Governor Kemp, it would have been evident. He would have said, I came here to speak truth to power and I came here to get investment. That's what Trump did. But alas, like I say, the U.S. president is only in power for four or eight years. Klaus Schwab is in power for, I think this will be year 52. So with Trump leaving and with Biden and the rest of the globalists, um, I mean, just atrocious. Uh, you know, the harmony between the Biden administration and Davos is complete, just as much as the disharmony between Trump and them was. So I think that with Trump's, Trump was amazing while he was in office, but now he's not. And so Biden is fully synchronized with the WEF. Um, I, I, another uh, point you ask is, how about uh, are people finally talking about this? Well, Fox News was excellent. And on social media, that Pfizer video that we did got 20 million views, et cetera. But were any of them picked up by the mainstream media, by the New York Times, by ABC, CBS, NBC, by... Um, uh, mass media. And I would say so far, no. And I don't know who the counterweight is to the World Economic Forum, because putting aside my ideological distaste for the people I saw there, I have to admit, it's an extremely exciting place to be, because everyone walking by you is somebody, somebody powerful, important, rich, some elite. And, you know, some people like to stargaze, they like to go to Hollywood premieres and see who they can recognize. This is like a Hollywood premiere with all the stars, but instead of being beautiful actors and actresses, they're ugly 
politicians, but if you follow ugly politicians like I do, like I say, it's a target-rich environment. I mean, Tony Blair, the former PM of UK, almost just knocked me over. He walked right, but like it, it's such a dense. I mean, there's there's more there's thousands of people there, and I don't know. It, it has such power and so much money. Like I, like I mentioned, Larry Fink, the the CEO of BlackRock, he's on the board. He's got ten trillion dollars under management. So when he invests money, he puts strings attached. He calls it ESG, environmentalism, social government. Mm -hmm. So he requires companies to follow his cultural Marxism. So he's hijacking the money of his investors and politicizing it. And then he's politicizing the companies into which he invests. So he's injecting his left-wing politics. He's a, like his, his company is a $10 trillion company, but every dollar he invests comes with that condition that you follow Larry Fink's ideology. And so here's an oligarch by every definition of the word who is changing the world, not through an election, not through a legislation, not through a public you know, process, but quietly, secretly, his machinations are making the world in his image. And that's what I mean by a shadow government. I have no beef with Larry Fink as a money manager. I'm sure he's quite good at it. I'm sure he's the best. But who died and made him king? And that's the thing. He wants that global citizenship. Well, I know what American citizenship means and Canadian citizenship. One of the things it means is you can get rid of your leader if they don't, if they don't do the right thing. How do I get rid of Larry Fink and Klaus Schwab? under this global citizenship they're proposing. So I'm not as optimistic as you because they're so powerful and they're enduring and they're secretive and he's had 50 years to work it. And, you know, Trump was a, a counterweight to so much of this, but they really are the deep state. They really are. The, uh, the, I would make my case one, one bit further. I, I referenced this issue on the World Prayer Network uh, previous week. But BlackRock is running ads on Fox News telling how wonderful they are. Why would they do that? Nobody heard of BlackRock before. Nobody cares about BlackRock. The average person is concerned about getting up for work and being on, on time in the morning. And, and, and so why on earth would they be running on Fox News? BlackRock does this, does this, all these nice things, unless they're finding out there's a public relations push against them and they've got to try to counter it. That would be my sensing that something's bubbling under the surface in them and they don't like it. I'm sure you're right. I mean, I don't know if you remember, but there was a while there where every public interest show on TV, a public affairs show was sponsored by Pfizer. Um, and that's to put the positive spin on their name. But let me tell you one thing. I've worked in the news business for 30 years and don't think that publishers don't know who butters their bread. Now, Tucker Carlson, who is really tough on the World Economic Forum, he's unimpeachable. He would never be swayed by advertisers. Tucker Carlson believes in his ideology very deeply. But there might be other people in the company. I, I'm, not, I'm not casting aspersions, but if BlackRock suddenly becomes a major advertiser in Fox, it could be subconscious that they pull their punches. Yes. I don't know. Yeah. I mean... If you ask why are they doing it, well, when you have ten trillion dollars of assets under management, um, you use your money to make problems go away. And like the state of Florida just announced they're divesting from BlackRock. That's one of a half dozen Republican states that have announced that. 
So maybe BlackRock is saying, oh, we've had a few hundred million dollars in divestitures. Maybe we should spend some tens of millions of dollars going on Republican channels to stop this. It's just good business. Maybe. I mean, I don't know what it's like having $10 trillion under management, so I don't know how that makes people think, but I'm guessing uh, they throw money at problems, just a hunch. Are we seeing a, a, a major shift? Maybe the answer to this is an obvious yes, but let me ask the question anyway. Uh, we've always wondered, how does a one-world government actually come into existence? And in my past, I would have naively thought, well, wars and armies and somebody overpowers somebody else and just controls the whole globe. But what, what you're saying is the whole notion of the center of power being with an elected official in some country is significantly shifting. And, and these NGOs are nor, now more powerful. This, this collection in Davos is more powerful than the governments combined of the whole planet. Are we seeing a shift in the political epicenter of, 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 our, of our globe that is, is pushing us rapidly to a one world government by that particular format? Yeah, I mean, uh, it doesn't have the formal ability to write a law. It obviously does not have an army. But um, speaking on, uh, of foreign policy, so for example, there was a Ukraine pavilion there and Russia was banned. And I went into the Ukraine pavilion and they want a total war uh, and they want uh, war crimes charges against the Russians and they want reparations. Now that's all a legitimate point of view, but that's the official World Economic Forum view Russians are banned from the World Economic Forum. And I'm, I'm not here to de defend Russia. I'm just explaining how they do foreign policy. And I, I talked with one of the lawyers who was talking about reparations. And I said, is that really likely? And, and I think that they're moving the Overton window, if you know what I mean, trying to talk about dramatic things, make them possible, just to make their other demands more reasonable. It wouldn't surprise I mean, BlackRock, when you have that much money under management, you're going to be in General Dynamics and Lockheed Martin and all the military companies. So they're making money in the war. And now they're proposing to help rebuild Ukraine <clears throat> after the war. And maybe when they talk about reparations, who, who's going to get that money to rebuild Ukraine? Maybe it comes from the governments and it goes to BlackRock. I don't know. I mean, listen, this is like this is a membership-based organization where the members like Larry Fink pay millions of dollars to be in on the club. And you don't get to be Larry Fink by being a dummy, by leaving money on the table. And so there's the ideology. These people have a globalist, progressive ideology. Absolutely. Uh, they're, they're sort of um, apocalyptic on environmentalism. They don't believe in nation states. They, um, But they're also making sure that they're well taken care of. So so there's the ideological motivation, but there's always also the financial motivation. Um, Larry Fink probably makes it like a bandit because not only does he get access to powerful people, but I mean, just using this Ukraine example, if the World Economic Forum manages to, to convince prime ministers and presidents around the world to rebuild Ukraine in the style the World Economic Forum suggests, and if that just happens to be Larry Fink, well, then this was a very good investment for him. Now, Listen, maybe that is the right thing to do to Ukraine, but don't kid yourself. This is a government that's deliberating. These are plutocrats and oligarchs and insiders who are deliberating. And I don't think the world should be run that way. I think I think we should have transparency. I think we should have an opposition. I think we should have a media scrutiny. I think we should have disclosure of who's 
lobbying whom and who's bribing whom. I saw that uh, the the leader of the Labour Party in the UK, Keir Starmer, Keir Starmer is his name, um, and he went to Davos and he was asked a terrible question. He was asked, which do you prefer, Davos or Westminster, which is what they call the building where the parliament is? He said, I prefer Davos because there's less shouting and it's less tribal and you can meet people and get things done. That's what he said. You can find that clip online. So, so here's the leader of the opposition of the UK, a man who could be the next prime minister, saying that the fact that there's a cacophony and a debate and nothing's easy to do and you have to compromise and go back, he doesn't like that. He likes being with his elite club, like you say, of John Kerry, say the, the, the super elites who know what they're doing, the leader of a, a party who could become the prime minister of the UK said he prefers the secret society than the, the rough and tumble of, a, of his parliament, which is one of the oldest parliaments in the world. It's the mother parliament. It, they showed us how to do democracy in the UK. And he would throw that out because he likes hanging out with the, the private jet class. That's what it means to have a world government. You don't have secret armies, that part of the Bond villain uh, science fiction doesn't come true, but they hammer out ideas. They harmonize with, they, they send the narrative out to their friends in the media. They really are a powerful group. And I say again, do not speculate. Just look at what they say and you will be blown away. I would contend they don't need armies. They don't need making formal laws because they're able to do it by control of energy, by control of food, by control of dollars. They coerce they coerce laws that go into yeah. existence. Well, I, you are with Rebel News, and we're listening to Ezra Levant. This is just really quite amazing. I, as you're talking, Ezra, you are so profoundly articulate. Uh, I, I remember having you on uh, previous times and coming away as impressed as I am right now. And I'm thinking of the name Rebel News. You're probably well aware of this. Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson, our founders in America, wanted our national motto to be rebellion against tyrants is obedience to God. They both wanted that. They were considered deists by some people, not as distinctly Christocentric and Christian as others. And yet that's what they wanted. And, and Benjamin Franklin really pushed it. And Thomas Jefferson actually used it as a personal model. Rebellion against tyrants is obedience to God. So when I think of rebel news, <laughs> that's what I think of. I'm going to go to that's a good one. Gotta just pray a prayer of blessing over you personally. Because um, it's, it's, it's pretty remarkable where God has placed you. And uh, I, for people like you, we don't have nearly enough. I pray protection uh, around you. Uh, and Ned, can you come on and pray for Ezra right now? We're gonna go into more, Ezra, just so you'll know, we're gonna go into more prayer. Your schedule may not permit you to stay on, and so no pressure to stay on. But we're going to go praying. We we go and we pray into the issues we've just heard from the speaker. So that's what we're going to do next. But I want someone to pray specifically for you, Ned. Are you able to uh, come on and pray as, for? As long as my mic is functional, I'm good to go. Can you hear me? Yes, we yeah. can. All right, good. It's been a little been a little odd here today. All right. Well, Father, I thank you right now for Ezra. God, I thank you for the vision that you have given him to lead this media apparatus, Lord, as an insurrectional, uh, really just, just, just group in, the, in, in a good way, Lord, piercing the fog of war that we see in the information space. So, Lord, I, I pray right now that 
all resources necessary to accomplish the purpose you've set forth for that group, Lord, would be done. God, I pray for committed people around him that see the value of the mission, Lord, that see the value of what they're trying to accomplish. Lord, I pray that you would use this group to stir, to encourage others who would also seek to pierce this, this fog and this informational warfare that goes on, Lord. So right now, I pray protection for Ezra. I pray protection for uh, his family, Lord. I pray protection over every means of resources where group, different groups and others may try to disrupt the flow of resources, whether it's human resources or financial or even simple things like equipment, God. I ask right now that you would, you would cause all supply necessary to be delivered to him, Lord. And God, I also ask specifically that, Father, you would get his word out in a way that would cause whistleblowers to come forth. It would, it would, it would, it would, it would carry an, an air of conviction, Lord. With people who are planted inside of these organizations, inside these entities, Lord. Maybe they didn't know quite what they were getting into to begin with. Maybe they saw it as just an exciting opportunity. Maybe they got a little uh, drunk or, or on the power, seduced by power, Lord. I ask that the words that go out through this media apparatus or through this this group that it would convict those hearts and cause them come forward and come out and to literally be those whistleblowers, those agents from the inside that are able to bring what's really going on to the public so the public can respond appropriately, Lord, why there's still time and light left in these great democracies, Lord, and these great republics that we have on earth, Lord. I pray that you would raise up in these in these days a, a people who are aware and informed and that have the zeal to get truth out and to come together in unity to see these organizations that operate beyond the scope of government sometimes, or some obviously sometimes in league with government, that there would be those that would rise up, that would represent those people, and that could go on and, 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 and bust these groups, Lord, that they could, they could check their power. So, Father, again, we just pray for favor where favor is needed, resources where resources are needed, Lord, and for Rebel News Media to be one that incites courage in people everywhere. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Ezra, I'd like one more person to pray for you who's from Canada, uh, Renee McIntyre, uh, pastor of Trumpet of Truth Christian Ministries in Woodstock, Ontario, Canada. She was a bold, courageous leader during the trucker strike and we turned to her a number of times, along with a number of key Canadian pastors. Going to have her pray for you, but uh, Ed, uh, Ned, I did not get you a, an opportunity to ask any question of Ezra, and, and I apologize for that. I wanted you to be a part of that. And then if you would give one more time, Ezra, if people want to make a financial contribution to Rebel News, can they do that? And if so, how? Thank you. And, and they can do that at rebelnews.com. And I know that Renee fought against lockdowns, and uh, you know, that, that took a lot of courage in Canada. So for folks who want to help Arthur, and by the way, you'll get a charitable tax receipt if you're in Canada. That's savearthur.com. As you can see, we do a lot of things through crowdfunding. And the, the folks in Davos have billionaires who can cut a million-dollar check. We rely on lots of little gifts. Uh, but you know what? You have enough. You have an army of Davids. You can take down any Goliath. And so, as you do, as you know, because you use the internet very effectively, the wonderful tool of the internet is you can bring together a lot of little people who can make a big difference. And so, whether it's Saving Arthur or Rebel News, 
that's how we do it. You know, the average gift to Rebel News is just $58. And we've managed to build a company on it. And the average donation to Arthur is slightly higher, but we've managed to pay a legal team for, really, it's coming up on three years and 16 court appearances with at least two more to come. So it's a bit of a miracle that so many people care so much. And thanks very much, Ned, for your kind words. Uh, Renee, would you, uh, oh, Ned, any question you have of Ezra before we have Renee pray? I, you know, I do have a question. I, I, I can't help but see patterns in, in, in history. I'm a, a you know, student of history myself and seeing the developments on the global scale of, of, of these, these corporate giants, uh, these kind of kind of backroom, non, I guess, guess non-country oriented, almost political, almost shadow political figures. And then also seeing the cooperation of governments. It, it reminds me on a global scale of what we saw in the, in the early 1900s in America, especially when Teddy Roosevelt was coming up. And yep. issues of corruption, issues of the large trust, issues of some of these these major big time businesses that were unchecked, literally buying politicians, uh, really governing outside of governance. And he was someone that rose up and was able to get his communication, get his message out there. Of course, it probably helped that he came from one of the most uh, historically respected and powerful families in New York. As as you fr from your perspective. And your view of, of analyzing the news and nations and what's happening. Do you see any figures like that that are rising up in these, these greater legacy democracies, America, the UK, Canada, who have that kind of charisma and boldness, who can actually get the message out to people and awaken them, even in the midst of so much misinformation in the media. Is there anyone on your radar that you're hopeful about that just we as the church can, can be prayerful for, can find ways to practically support and that we should be keeping our eyes on as well? Well, I think it's from the good book, Put Not Your Trust in Princes. But uh, if I had to choose someone out there who gives me some hope, and I hope I don't live to eat these words, it would be Elon Musk. Um, and I say this, first of all, he believes in human life. In fact, he believes that the world is underpopulated. It's, a, it's an important point for him. And that right there puts him at odds with so much of the global elite. He personally has a lot of kids. Now he does by different mums. So that's a, a little asterisk there. But he, that's an interesting thing about him. He talks about freedom and he's against cultural Marxism. Uh, obviously, he's very wealthy. But what he did by buying Twitter and freeing it from its censorship, and much more than that, disclosing how it engaged in censorship in the past is such a shocking rebuke to the globalists, to the, to the elites that he would normally be a part of. I mean, he, he's so wealthy and so successful and so cool. I mean, he's the, the Tesla guy. He's the SpaceX guy. Now, he has his flaws and his weaknesses. He's very exposed in China. He has a factory there. He doesn't want to get offside with China. And he's a quirky guy like everyone else. He's, you know, he's not perfectly consistent. But he is what gives me some hope that it's not all over. And remember, it may appear that everyone is unanimous, but it doesn't mean they are. 
That's what the truckers proved. In Canada, every political party, every media, every law professor, every college of physicians and surgeons, every court agreed. Everyone agreed except the people. And then you had this grassroots, spontaneous, organic, authentic uprising by truckers, the most salt of the earth people. And it proved that there was a false consciousness that, oh my God, we're all, we're, we're all lost. No one is with me. I'm the only dissident. No, the truckers proved that there were millions of people who were against it. And, and so you, you can't lose hope. And Elon Musk is a real reason to have some hope. I hope I don't eat these words, but he is, I think about him every day because every day I see evidence of how he is making the world freer and more intellectually diverse. Um, and I think, I think that's a good thing. And that is not what I expected. Uh, if you asked me a year ago, I would I thought, who's going to spend $44 billion of his own money to free communications? I would not have guessed that would happen. So that's, I'm keeping that hope alive. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please read the show notes for additional details if you would like a copy of the book or resources mentioned. Remember that WellVersed is a 501c3 tax-deductible nonprofit organization. We rely on your support and partnership. Don't forget to hit subscribe to keep up to date with our latest episodes. Leave us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Thank you for listening to the WellVersed podcast. For more information, please go to www.wellversedworld.org.